Well, I want to welcome all of you to the 1130 service of the Hills here at our North Richland Hills campus and all of you that watch online. I heard from many of you around the world last week. Thank you for joining us again. Welcome back. So uh, I want to begin by endorsing the message you just heard about our new online data system. Hills Connect is going to help us as a church be engaged with one another to a degree we haven't been able to do before. It's so much more than just an online directory, though it is that. So I encourage you to activate your login, to check your profile settings, and begin learning how to use this amazing tool. And we want to help you. You can go to the Connect station in the lobby, and we can get you started today. Because we are a big church, but we want to be a big family for so many reasons. Not the least of which is, the more connected you are to your spiritual family, the more capacity you are going to have to steward your sexuality. Now, you didn't see that sentence coming, did you? You're looking at me like Ricky would say to Lucy, you got some splaining to do. So, let's explain. I started a series last week called By Design, where we are exploring God's intent for our sexuality. And the very title implies that most of culture is not living by God's design. We live in a culture that worships sex and says, give free reign to your sexual urges. And no one knows this more than the advertisers who constantly appeal to that part of our nature to get us to do what they want us to do. For example, uh, a few years ago in the Atlanta Journal, this ad appeared. Single black female seeks male companionship, ethnicity unimportant. I'm a very good looking girl who loves to play. I love long walks in the woods, riding in your pickup truck, hunting, camping and fishing trips, cozy winter nights lying by the fire. Candlelight dinners will have me eating out of your hand. I'll be found at the front door when you come home from work wearing only what nature gave me. Call 404-875-6420 and ask for Daisy. I'll be waiting over the next two weeks. 15,000 men called and found themselves talking to the Atlanta Humane Society about an eight-week-old black Labrador retriever. (laughs) And so I felt it was important as we start this second message to review some things that we emphasized in our first message. And the very first thing is that God is for sex. Sexuality is His idea. We were created male and female because our maleness and our femaleness reflect his image and character and make him knowable. The very first chapter of the Bible says sex is good. The second chapter of the Bible says sex is for marriage. God's gift of sex is to help a husband and a wife pursue oneness. And oneness is so much more than physical connection. It is the pursuit of that intimate soul connection that sexual expression helps us achieve. And God is interested in protecting that context and that gift for marriage. And therefore, Scripture is univocal and consistent. It always calls sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage sin. Because the third thing we learned is that when we began to use God's gift outside of God's design, souls get wounded. Because you just can't divorce your body and your soul. God did not make you that way. 
And so, last week was a long week. I had a lot of hard conversations. They weren't ugly conversations. They weren't mean conversations. But they were painful. And I was reminded again how damaged and scarred souls can become when God's design for sexuality is misused. And so we said finally that sex is a gift to the married. It is not a human entitlement to all. And it is not necessary to have an active sex life to be a flourishing and fulfilled human being. Now our culture pushes back on all four of those points, especially the last one. Our culture cannot fathom that you could be a healthy person and not be sexually active. It's illustrated in so many ways. For example, a few years ago, there was a best-selling book turned into a popular movie called The Da Vinci Code. And the premise behind the story was this. That for 2,000 years, civilization has been kept in the dark about a deep secret. That Jesus was actually married. That he fathered children. How could such an idea Catch on in the popular realm. Again, it's because we worship Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. And we can't fathom that anyone ever lived a really good life if they weren't sexually active. So, we let our worship of sex even shape our view of Jesus. Instead of letting our worship of Jesus shape how we view sex. Because Jesus did not believe your pursuit of sex is the greatest aim of your life. He said your pursuit of the kingdom is. One time in a conversation about the nature of marriage, and we'll go into this text more deeply next week. Jesus goes back to Genesis 2. He reminds people that God designed marriage and you shouldn't be tearing it up. And the disciples are overwhelmed at how harsh he sounds and says, if that's the case, maybe no one should ever get married. And here's how Jesus responded, Matthew 19, 12. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Jesus honored singleness. He said some will choose not to marry. They will live celibate single lives for the sake of devoting themselves to the kingdom of God. And he honored those people. He said, if you can accept this, you should do it too. And for centuries, the church honored these people. For centuries, you were considered more devout and more spiritual. If you remained single and devoted yourself solely to pursuing the kingdom of God. Well, that's not true anymore. The church has almost completely changed her message to single people. And rather than holding singles in honor, today the church tends to hold them at arm's length. I know this from personal experience. The first three years of my ministry, I was a single preacher. And my church did not quite know what to do with me, but they were determined to get me married. I met every grandmother's granddaughter that ever visited our church. One woman was leaving for the summer. Before she left, she had me over to her home for a meal. 
gave me a recipe box full of names and phone numbers of young girls that I was to call before she got back. But the clearest picture was a dinner we had at our church one night talking about the vision of our church, the future of our church. We invited everyone to come and I showed up because I was the preacher and quickly realized no one thought a single adult would attend. Every table was set up for couples. Someone quickly ran to the kitchen and got a place setting for me and set me at the end of the table. And I thought, how strange. You see, we send messages to single brothers and sisters that have been influenced by the way the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of sex, has seeped into the church. The worst example of this I ever heard was a church that actually called their ministry to young adults pairs and spares. And that's not funny. That's sad. When I was preparing for this series on sexuality, I was not planning this sermon. The more I studied, the more I realized I cannot not preach this sermon. If the church is going to recover a healthy theology of sexuality, we've got to recover the biblical picture of celibate single lives as people to be held in esteem and honor. To put it another way, churches need to be single-minded. And we have a long way to go to get there. And we need to get there not just for theological reasons, but for pragmatic reasons. Let me tell you something you may not know. For the first time in our nation's history, there are more single adults than married adults in America. Now, if you add the never married, the divorced, and the widowed, more adults in our country today are not married than married. And at every age group, they are much less likely to attend church than their married peers. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not here just to bash the church, but the church could do better. We send unintentional and mistaken messages to single adults. And here's one of them. That being single is God's plan B. The prevailing notion seems to be that while being single is not bad, we all know it's not best. Because best is married. Remember, somebody will say, Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding. That's true. It's also true he raised a single guy from the dead, which I think is a pretty big deal. I want you to think of the serious theological implications of thinking that being single is not as good as being married. In the first place, Jesus was single all his life. Never married, died as a virgin. Question, was he fully human? When the Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like we are, that's why he's such a good priest. Do we believe that? Did he even have sexual temptations just like we have? Was Jesus a JV version of humanity? Because he never really experienced what's best? What's more, have you ever thought about the fact That not only did you start your life as a single, but you'll end it that way. 
Your origin and your ultimate destination is singleness. The Bible says in heaven we will not be given in marriage. You see, it's good to be single. It's more than just not bad. You're not in a holding pattern if you're single until God's best arrives. When Jesus finished talking about how strong he wants marriage to be, and the disciples said, maybe it's best not to get married, Jesus did not say, oh, you misunderstood me. Everybody needs to get married. No, Jesus said, you're right. Some of you need to be single. If you can accept it, do it. Jesus put singleness in the same status as the married life. He honored it. And the church should too. But one way we fail to do that is another myth you hear. And it goes like this. You need someone to complete you. Right now some of you are thinking of a famous movie scene where Tom Cruise says to Renee Zellweger, you complete me. And the music swells and the women sigh and the men gag. (laughs) And the obvious implication is you can't be a whole person without someone else in your life. And in the Christian context, that means marriage. Therefore, if you're not married, you're somehow in an inadequate or an inferior state. So what does that say to our dear brothers and sisters who are open to being married, waiting to get married? But it hasn't happened and it may never happen. Where in the Bible does it ever say that another human being can do for you what only God can really do for you? You see, this Bible says in marriage two become one. It does not say that a half and a half become whole. Because marriage doesn't solve emptiness. Marriage exposes it. If you're an empty person, if you're missing something and you think, oh, I'll get married and that will fix that. Let me tell you, two halves do not make whole. They make hell. And every counselor knows this. Because the only person that can complete you is the Lord Jesus Christ. But that myth still persists. And one way it comes across to many singles is singles need to get fixed. And we would never say it like that. But here's what we do say to single people. You know, you just need to work on yourself. You just need to concentrate on becoming the best you that you can be. And when you get there, God will know and you'll be ready for marriage. That is heresy. Anytime you say to anybody, when you get good enough, God is ready to bless you. You have spoken rank legalism. It is an affront to everything the cross stands for to say, once you get better, God will love you more. Besides that, I know a whole bunch of people that weren't fixed who got married. Not only is that message discouraging to our single brothers and sisters, it is demeaning. Because what we're really saying is, bless your hearts, we just hope you don't stay broken.
Again, I think this reflects the way the worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of sex, has seeped into the church. Our single brothers and sisters need to be respected, not corrected. And one way we could respect them is to listen to them more. And so I want you to watch for just a moment this short video we prepared. Being a single in today's society, a Christian single, is really hard. It is very, very difficult being a Christian in today's culture. I find myself constantly struggling with going with the world's views and going back to Christianity because they are very separate at times, especially when you talk about dating. You know, you got the world partying and then you got people that are getting married and then there I am. You know, it's like, what is Michael going to do now? Some see single people almost as if they're not quite adults yet. Single people are not, they're not, they're not weirdos. There's nothing wrong with them. We just get looked at for being single. We don't get looked at for being a fellow member in Christ. And that can be really frustrating. They're just not seen as a whole, full person. And it's interesting to me because the church tells us, find your self-esteem, be whole in Christ. And I fully believe that. But I think sometimes church doesn't see us as fully whole, fully adult, until we're married. I'm, I'm more than a single person. Churches just, they do a really good job with with people that are uh, that are married or if you're a kid well they got programs for you and plans for you and opportunities for you um, but it's there's, there's some reason that, that this this area of life has been missed how you decide to use being single really depends on like where your faith lies in Christ if God has ordained my days and he knows each one exactly and he has a purpose for me then I'm right where I'm supposed to be even if both sides of culture and even how I'm feeling tells me otherwise. He is my God. Like, that is my Savior. That's my first love, first and foremost. You know and I'm saying? I want to love Him with all of my heart. I want to continue to do all the things that I can do being single. Faith in that situation, it, it, it really truly is something that, that you have to take seriously and you have to realize that you're not going to do it right. I'm always good at it. I find times where I'm angry because I want the things that other people have that I really want and desire, but I just find it a good time to sit back and um, really really hone in on God and to build that relationship with Him. You've just got to let go. You've got to let God have every part of your life, and that is truly, truly going to look radical. I'm a daughter of a king, period. He has a plan and a purpose for my life, period. Um, I might get married, you know, in a month. I don't know. But for where I'm at right now, um, I'm enough because of who he says I am. I just thought that was uh, really powerful. So I heard about a single man who got so tired every time he went to a wedding in his church of the sweet little old ladies coming up to him, patting him on the back and saying, don't worry, you're next. Do you know how he got them to stop? He started walking up to them at every funeral saying, don't worry, you're next. (laughs) So what is the message that we should be sending to our single brothers and sisters? Let me suggest several. Here's the first. That one is a whole number. 
that pursuing marriage is not the path to fulfillment. Pursuing God is. Now, some of you who are single might be thinking, how do you know you're married? I am. And I'm happily married. Jamie is a huge blessing in my life. But I did live for a while as a single adult. And I think I could speak with integrity and say, Jamie doesn't make me hope. Jesus does. If I had never married, I still could have lived a very fulfilling life. Just like many people in the Bible who serve God well and fruitfully as singles. Daniel and his friends. Simeon and Anna in the temple welcoming the Christ child. Paul, who wrote a quarter of our New Testament, not only was thrilled to be single, but always wanted to talk other people into staying that way too. He said, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Scripture never suggests that people who are in a real relationship with Jesus are missing something, keeping them from having a fulfilled life. The Bible places the single life right next to the married life, co-equal in dignity. And the church should do the same. Because, here's truth number two, singleness can be a calling and a blessing. Now some have the gift of singleness. They will never marry and never really have a desire to. All singles have a gift they can offer to Jesus. And it's the gift of more time. That's why Paul strongly encourages believers to consider staying single. He said in the same chapter, verse 32 through 4, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Now, Paul is so strong, he goes on to say, now, if you get married, you don't sin. (laughs) When's the last time you heard a sermon on that verse? He says, it's not a sin to get married, but it's really, really good to stay single because of what you can do for the kingdom. This challenges me as a leader in this church to challenge all of you involved in ministry in our church to maximize the resources of our single brothers and sisters. Whether it's greeting at the doors or parking cars or working with kids or going on mission trips or working with teens or being on mission committees or anything else, we ask ourselves, am I involving my single brothers and sisters? When you start a new small group, do you think about inviting singles to join? Or is it just for couples? And let me say a word to those of you that are single. Don't play the victim card. Don't start feeling sorry for yourself and blaming the church and getting cynical. Well, my church doesn't have a minister for me. And my church doesn't have a class for me. And my church doesn't have a special program for me. You're a mature adult person. Don't wait for the church to engage you. Engage the church. When we call for teachers of young people, when we talk about mission trips, whatever it is we're promoting, engage and participate. Because no one in Christ is in a holding pattern when it comes to serving in the kingdom. Because, here's truth number three. Water is thicker than blood. 
This might be the most controversial point I make today. But I want you to think about something that might be new to you. Unlike the church which worships family and puts family and marriage on a pedestal. The most radical thing Jesus did that we miss is that he intentionally de-idolized family. Jesus did not make the nuclear family the center of the kingdom of God. He created a new family where the waters of baptism transcended the blood of lineage. And he did this many times. We just didn't notice. For example, Mark chapter 3. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So in Jesus' theology, people that are sold out to the kingdom transcend biology in terms of whose family. Or look at Luke 11. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out to Jesus, Blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. As a side note, don't ever say that to me. If you like something I'm preaching, you can say amen or you can say preach on, but do not shout, blessed is the woman that nursed you. That will weird me out, okay? But here's how Jesus replied. No, blessed are those who hear the teaching of God and obey it. Three chapters later in Luke, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me but loves his father, mother, wife, children, brothers or sisters, or even life more than me, he cannot be my follower. Jesus didn't make nuclear family the center of the kingdom. Finally, Mark chapter 10. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus said... You follow me, a cross is in your future. If you follow me, your life could be full of troubles. But it will also be full of family. Because I'm creating a new family. You'll have mothers, you'll have fathers, you'll have brothers, you'll have sisters. And that's important because nobody can follow Jesus well alone. Our single brothers and sisters need us to be their family. They don't just need a program. Sometimes programs isolate singles even more. Do your church have a singles program? Yeah, I think they meet down in the basement and have a potluck once a month. They're not looking for a program. They're looking for a family. Three of the most uh, poignant conversations I had last week were with single women in their 70s and 80s. Who said... 
We're so excited that you're going to preach a message affirming singles. Please remind the church not to forget us just because we're not married anymore. You see, when you get baptized, and by the way, some of you need to get baptized. It's the first thing you do when you start following Jesus. And when you get baptized, your baptism isn't just saying you begin. It's saying you belong. You've got a new family now that you need because you've also got a cross to bear and you need help. You see, God's grace, here's truth number four, God's grace is sufficient to obey God's will, no matter how hard that will seems to be. I know some of you think it is absurd for me to expect adult people that are not married to live a celibate life. Two of the hardest conversations I had last week were with people who said that may work for people who've never been married, but I've been married. I'm not married anymore. You can't expect me as a man to stay sexually abstinent until I get married again. Let me speak to that. Last week, I misspoke, I think, when I was using the example of people sleeping together before they get married. I said, ladies, if you're doing that, you're discipling your boyfriend to divorce sex from commitment. And that will have consequences down the road. I believe that, but that works both ways. It's just as true for guys as for girls to be responsible there. But since I did challenge the women last week, let me challenge the men this week. You live in a culture that says, hey, you're a dude and dudes got to do what dudes do. You can't be a real man if you're not sexually active. You can't expect me to control my sexual urges. Well, God can. Was that clear enough? God expects you to control your tongue as you follow Jesus. He expects you to grow in your capacity to control your temper as you follow Jesus. He expects you to control your greed. How weak of a view of the Holy Spirit do we have if we say to a man, but God can't expect you to control your sexual urges. The Holy Spirit isn't that strong. Jesus thought he was. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember when Jesus said, if your eyes cause you to sin, pluck it out. If your hands cause you to sin, cut it off. It is right after he talked about lust. Here's what Paul said. Run from sexual sin. You have received the Holy Spirit from God. And the church has got to be clear here. We've got to be bold. We've got to encourage each other to believe that God's grace in the empowering of the Holy Spirit is sufficient for us to withstand the temptations of our culture. The Holy Spirit doesn't remove the struggle. He empowers us in the struggle to live by God's design. We need God's strength to live God's way. Because God's way is hard. A few generations ago, if you had sex outside of marriage, you were a rebel. Today, it's the other way around. Today, you're a rebel if you remain celibate unless you're married. And that's why, here's truth number five. Following Christ as a single takes radical faith.
We don't honor and esteem our single brothers and sisters nearly as much as we should. For the radical faith it takes for them to follow Jesus. Have you ever considered what a revolutionary man Paul was? He lived in a culture that said, you have to produce kids to have a future. Your children are your legacy. Your children are your security. And this radical single man said, no. My future is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus. And at the wedding supper of the Lamb, my life will be validated. The fruit of my life will be seen. And no one will think that my life was wasted just because I was single. In a world that puts the wrong price tags on everything. It takes radical faith to be a single and to find your worth in Jesus. To illustrate that, I want to close by reading you a blog I came across earlier in the year written by a woman named Sarah the Barge. I don't know this woman. Um, I do know that she's a committed Christian. I know that she's an author and a book writer. I know that she's a breast cancer survivor. And I know she's single. And she wrote a blog titled, Why I Turned Down the Man of My Dreams. The last time I was in a relationship was the month before I sold everything and set out on this grand 18-month nomadic travel adventure of writing, speaking. The breakup was an amicable ending to a less than serious relationship, and I've continued to be friends with that guy. And after that, I measured how long I went without being kissed by weeks and then months. And now it's been more than a year. I don't think I even remember how I told my friend a few weeks ago. It'll come back to you, she assured me. Kissing's just like riding a bicycle. Last week, I was staying at a hotel when a very handsome gentleman approached me in the lobby. We started chatting, and then he asked if I'd meet him later for dinner. I said, sure. And for three magical hours, we sat in a dimly lit restaurant talking about our stories and our families and our occupations. I learned that he was a Marine, spoke fluent French, and was now an investment banker in New York City. He had sophisticated taste and incredibly good looks. To put it simply... He was my dream man, except for one thing. He didn't love Jesus. We left the restaurant and took the elevator to the floor our rooms were on. And when we got off the elevator, he gave me a kiss and whispered, come back to my room with me. I knew I needed to be immediately decisive. Otherwise, the offer would seem more and more tempting. And I'd come up with more and more rationalizations for why it wasn't such a bad idea. I want to, but I'm not going to. I said firmly. He pulled me close to him. Why? He whispered, his lips resting on my ear. He was a good six inches taller than me, so I had to stand on my tiptoes, reach his ear. And I said, because I like you a lot, but I love Jesus more. I kissed him on the cheek, and then I walked away. When I got back to my room, I locked the door, and then I cried. Because sometimes life as a single person, especially a single person who lives on the road, 
is intensely lonely. And waking up next to someone seems like such a comforting thing. Because I keep praying for God to bring someone just like that, plus loves Jesus, into my life. And God hasn't. At least not yet. I cried because it would have been so easy. And no one would have known. I cried for all the other places of my life where I say I love Jesus more than anything. And yet sometimes the choices I make don't reflect that. I cried for how easy it is to doubt that God's best really is best. And how hard it is sometimes to trust that God doesn't willingly withhold good gifts from us. And if he's withholding something, in my case, a husband, it's because he has a plan that's better than mine. And I cried with relief. Because I would wake up the following morning with confidence and integrity instead of shame and regret. I dried my tears, I made some tea, I took a bath, and then I watched Netflix for a while. Sitting in a hotel room in a bathrobe watching season seven of The Office alone on a Friday night isn't the stuff rom-coms are made of. I don't think Nora Ephron ever wrote a screenplay that ends with a heroine sitting by herself in a half-empty bed drinking peppermint tea. And as far as I know, the great poets never wrote an ode to the woman who whispered, I want to, but I'm not going to, to the man of her dreams. And yet, with each choice I make, I'm telling a story. It's not always a glamorous story. It doesn't have nearly as much romance as I'd like. It entails making sacrifices that only God and I know about. It's a hard story to write sometimes. But by God's grace, I hope it's a good one. And if my dreams don't come true, if I never get married, if I never get to write another book, it'll be enough for me to be known for one simple thing. Sarah the Barge, the girl who loved Jesus more. It takes such radical faith to be a single in this sick culture. Singles have to be, they need to be so Christ-minded. They should be honored for that. I have talked to a lot of singles in the last 12 hours. I've heard two things over and over. Thank you, that was good. Thank you. That was hard. It's hard. And I want to say to you, if you're single, I hope you can find your identity in your salvation, not in your status as a single person. I hope your aim and goal for your life is to walk with Jesus, not walk down an aisle. And I want to remind you, there's a wedding in your future. Every Christian chooses to be married. It's coming. The groom will be here soon. Be ready for him. Let's pray. Oh God. I hope hearts will receive this word. That ears are ready to hear. It would be easy for some to say, this doesn't apply to me. I'm married. But, oh God, it does apply to all of us. 
who could be better brothers and sisters to our brothers and sisters who were single. But I speak a special word now, God. Would you please bless my single brothers and sisters? That they can define themselves in Jesus and not by what culture says. Be their comfort when they're lonely. Be their strength when they're tempted. Be their joy when joy is hard to find. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're hanging on, but we're ready for the wedding. Amen.